0: Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on community engagement and building trust to ensure diversity, equity, inclusion in clinical research from the 2022 Patients as Partners in Clinical Research Summit. For more information about the Patients as Partners in Clinical Research Summit, our editorial, podcasts and webinars, please visit patientsaspartners.org. Thank you and enjoy the podcast.
1: Well, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us for this session on community engagement and building trust to ensure diversity, equity, inclusion, and clinical research. So as you all have already heard today, we've been really charged to do clinical research different and really creating a different model so that we are bringing clinical research to where our patients are, and that is in the community. So I am Adrelia Allen. I'm the Director of Clinical Trial Patient Diversity at Merck, and I have a very distinguished panel that's up here with me. And before we get started, I would ask if everyone could give your name and your title, the organization that you represent.
2: Hi, I'm uh, Tisha Johnson. I'm the Director of Clinical Research at Yale School of Medicine. Thank you.
0: Hello everyone, my name is Ebony Scott, and I'm the Director of Health Equity for Lupus Research Alliance and its clinical trials management arm, Lupus Therapeutics.
3: Hi again everybody, I'm Karen Peterson, and I'm Chief Patient Advocate and Founder of Karen's Club.
4: Thank you. Hi everyone, I'm Angela Rochelle, I'm with Langland, and we are a health communications agency. I'm Head of Diversity Initiatives.
5: Hello everyone, my name Ash Rishi, CEO, co-founder of Couch Health. We're a health engagement agency based out in UK.
1: And thank you everyone for that introduction. And so as we begin this discussion, I think we're at a critical time in our industry where we're really beyond the time of just talking about how are we going to engage patients and communities in clinical research. With the COVID-19 pandemic, it really pushed us to do more and not just talking. Roth shared with us today that we do have to create a new design for clinical research so that we are engaging communities and engaging patients. And so as I began to think about this, and we have to be intentional about what we're doing and really planning. And so as Karen shared this morning about her journey, I began to think about what were some of the challenges and what we need to do better and we think about trust, access, awareness. So Karen, if you could just share with us, and I want want us to walk away with what do we need to do better from a standpoint of trust, access, and awareness to bring communities and patients to the center of clinical research.
3: Thank you so much for that question. It's such a deep question because there's so many facets and so many different directions we can go with this. But I will say, I'll start with trust. I can remember what that was like to feel betrayed by my medical professional when she denied me access to genomic testing. Here I am. I've been with you almost two years. I'm trying to stay alive. I've been diagnosed with stage four triple negative breast cancer, and in 2017, the prognosis was not that well. Things were still in clinical trials in regards to K Truda, and on the immunotherapy combo. It It was so distraught, I was so distraught, and it was something that I was prepared for because I can remember talking to, well, sneaking into a lab one day, trying to have a conversation about my case. And I can remember being very accusatory to the principal investigator at the time. He did not call security on me. He sat me down, he said, let me tell you something. We get our patients from oncologists. So the questions that you're asking me, be very careful to make sure that you have the same energy and you're able to ask these questions to your oncologist because that's your first gatekeeper. That is the person who is going to give you um, an insight on where you need to go in regards to the clinical trials. And he planted the seed in my mind right then and there that there might be a way or there might be an obstacle with the trusted partner that I had. So um, I didn't spend a lot of time and I've often been asked this question, Karen, what happened? Why did your oncologist not provide the level of care that you needed? I have no idea. I didn't spend time trying to figure it out. My best... And I think the route that I took was really important because I didn't spend a lot of time trying to figure that out. I was trying to stay alive. And so luckily for me, I had been talking to other research oncologists and had second and third opinions who were trustworthy, who said, oh, here's a patient. And they were excited to have a patient in the room with them who was actually willing and um, to do the work, the legwork to become educated to ask questions about what the journey might be like, what the options might be like. And they were so thoughtful in the way in which they taught me about my own personal tumor biological makeup that no one had ever shared with me before. I actually got a level of education so quickly, but I was extremely lucky because of my resilience and the fact that, you know, I had an inspiration. My life was on the line. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about that and I think about the patients that are out there who are going through the same thing that I went through, the first thing and foremost is we don't even talk about clinical trials. We wanna talk about where you're at. How do you feel? Do you feel like you're being heard? Do you feel like um, the information that you're getting, that you understand what that is? Do you feel empowered enough to be able to ask a question? A simple question about your healthcare is very important. I'm gonna stop talking for a moment, but a nurse, came into Karen's Club's foresight a, a couple of days ago. She was from San Diego. She was stage two triple negative breast cancer and she was about to end her standard of care. And I can remember saying to you, okay, oh, hey, why are you here? She was like, I've been offered a clinical trial and I have a global age situation. I think it was a mutation. And I haven't been offered immunotherapy, but I've also been offered a maintenance drug. And when I asked my doctor about why didn't I get offered the immunotherapy and the chemo combo, the doctor said, it's expensive. It's expensive. And so my pushback was, listen, I understand what it's like to be devalued, I understand what it's like to not have a doctor in the room who's not actively listening, but no choice that you should make about your life moving forward should be based off finances. It should be based only on science only on science, (laughs) so we were able to get it together, she had all her, she was perfect, I mean T53 mutation, she had a tumor mutational burden of five, I mean she had a global H mutation, all the things that would make her in that category of a triple negative breast cancer patient highly reoccurrence. but her doctor didn't want to have that conversation, but I empowered her to be able to go back and have that conversation, and say, dear doctor, what are we basing this on? I have all the science here. Put the burden on the doctor. We're not talking about finances. We're talking about science. And so it's being able to have a conversation with a trusted messenger, myself, to be able to find a way in which to break through and push through um, and accomplish the goal of at least accessing the tools to help you make a decision. So, I hope I answered your question.
1: Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And I must say that you really impressed me with knowing the science Mm -hmm. as a patient and talking about the genetic, the genome and, you know, all of that, to be a patient because I would say that for a physician, he's probably not expecting for you to have that, mu- that level of detail about your health for you to be able to make those decisions. So definitely kudos for being your own patient advocacy and advocating on your behalf, so kudos. And I think in, as you were talking, we talked about one of the barriers and how we can address that is really communication and how essential it is to be able to, for patients to be able to communicate how they're feeling, what they're going through, and really how physicians and even pharma to be able to communicate what trials are available? How can you extend your life? So I'm going to ask Angela if you can just share from a communication standpoint what is needed so that we can bridge the gap and bring in communities and patients closer to clinical research.
4: Sure and thank you. Thank you again Karen for sharing. We talk about education for patients but we need education for our doctors. We do on how to engage with diverse communities and really understand their nuances. Everyone understands that it's an impact on diverse representation It's very low in clinical trials, but no one is really willing to take a moment and understand why that is. When you have that patient that starts searching, why is she searching alone? What we need more than anything is the idea of, for our sponsors, our pharma companies to recognize that the materials, the the initiatives that you put out there become critical to empowering additional patients because then they can advocate for themselves. When they learn to advocate for themselves even more, it forces a really natural conversation for them to be able to have with their HCP. Conversely though, What I also challenge every sponsor here today to do is when you develop materials, develop the same set of materials for your sites and your HCPs. Let them understand and teach them why it's important that we have better representation, but then give them a script if necessary on how to engage and what to expect from that patient that may be coming into a site to consider a clinical trial. But most importantly, Remember to even have a conversation before that patient is in the moment of dire need. Develop that same set of materials for your site team. Everyone is busy, we know they're understaffed, but there's a level of compassion that needs to take place when you're having these conversations. A person sitting across from you is already nervous, they don't understand, and if you're just moving them through the process, they're not going to be able to really hear that information and process it. When you develop those same materials for your patient audience, what you're creating is a lot of very self-taught, educated patient advocates. If those materials take into consideration their barriers, we're not hiding behind why we know people of color do not communi- or participate in clinical trials, that's not a hidden discussion anymore. Include that, acknowledge it. When you're developing those materials as well though, share them with the patients before they actually are printed. Take a moment to have your own patient advocacy team look at them and let them really share with you what they're seeing, what's missing, what's needed. All of that to say, at the end of the day, we have this need, we see it, and we hear from patients like Karen who are out here pushing and charging, but yet everyone has a diversity initiative and we're going to do community engagement. If you don't remember that you have to do more than one and done, it's never really gonna get past the hurdle that we're trying to jump through. My charge, my agency's charge, we're empowering clients, we're also empowering patients. Those materials that we develop become their walking sort of script that they're gonna have with that doctor that didn't know to address the conversation with them. They're gonna know to ask the question, you know, I read about this clinical trial and what does that mean for me? Lastly, consider your websites. People are searching like crazy, and you're hearing over and over again, I go to clinicaltrials.gov, it's helpful in some ways, but it's hard to maneuver. Create that destination of education for them. Give them a place to come to to not only learn about your clinical trial but your commitment to the diversity initiative what you're offering in their therapeutic areas they can become more informed about the science we have all the tools we have all the arsenal we just have to implement more than just one and done we have to understand that going to the community is not just one partner these initiatives these ideas of clinical trial awareness and education it has to normalize, it really has to. And the only way we're gonna get there is to continue this conversation, reach out to these communities, understand those communication pathways that are important to them, but speak to them consistently and educate.
1: Yeah, so if I can dissect that a little bit, because that was a lot and you packaged it very well, and that we can't, it's not a one and done, we have to invest, Absolutely. and putting in the investment means today I don't want anything. I'm just coming because out of general awareness and wanting you to get the information, Absolutely. and then building that trust. Yes. Building that
4: trust. I can tell you, if, if you've done community engagement programs before, they have no shame with challenging us on, so you're here today, where are going to be tomorrow? Mm-hmm. What happened at the end of that trial? Mm-hmm. Why should I join? You're not telling me anything. So it, it has to be done both ways. I think we're going to get there. and We have to understand that people want to normalize. People are curious. When you give them the right information, they ask so many questions. To so stand before a group of community, um, just regular people that are interested and talk to them about a clinical trial, and they're taking notes, they're raising their hands, asking questions, and then the challenging question becomes, so why you won't talk to me? and I'm standing there thinking, but we do. So there's a disconnect. We have to figure out how to bring them back together and make sure that information gets out to the communities.
1: Very good steps and you know, things that we can start even tomorrow, not something that we can wait on, but even looking at our plan and how we're executing on that. So communication is essential, but the how we do that is even more important. So thank you, Angela, for that, and again, as we're talking, please feel free to add in, interject, interrupt, because this is a free-flowing conversation <laughs> here. And so as we begin to look more at bringing clinical research to our patients, I'm gonna ask Ebony to kind of share with us, when we're looking at community-based participatory research, how can we do that and what are some of the core principles? What do we need to think about before we're going in to engage with communities? Is there work that we need to do ahead before we give and ask? Can you share with us on that?
0: Definitely. I just want to thank, you know, the organizers of this event for having us here to have this much needed and timely discussion. Um, I will share that, you know, it's no shocker. Many of us know that racism is embedded in our healthcare system. And so when we talk about community engagement, diversity, equity, all of these different things, we really need to take a step back and think about the history of the healthcare system, clinical trials, and why there are reasons, and and as to why there are such low participation rates when we look at people of color. Uh, Whenever I have the chance to be on a platform, I like to provide some education around lupus. Lupus is one of the most debilitating diseases that affect women of color at highest prevalence rates, we see African-American women have the highest prevalence rates in terms of lupus. But then if you look at the composition of lupus clinical trials, you see that they make up the uh, minority of participation. And so for lupus, there isn't a cure. There are three approved treatments by the FDA, but then we start to see when these drugs are being prescribed or distributed among people of color or communities of color, there's all these side effects and symptoms that have never been Tested, and so you have to go back and redo trials and try to mitigate the issues that were never addressed. And so, what community-based participatory research is acknowledging racism, discrimination, and all of these things that are in our healthcare system, and having a conversation with the communities. I think a lot of times researchers, um, PIs, those who are sit in these, you know, clinical trials, they are afraid sometimes to have these conversations for fear that the patient may mistrust them, or may become defensive, or that, you know, that happened years ago. That's not what happening. But a lot of times we see that our companies are not partnering with communities unless there is an ask or a need. That we need participants for a trial or we want them to review a protocol. But it really means taking a step back and forming pre-engagement. So working with communities of color or working with communities overall without a specific ask. Building up that relationship, building up that trust. So when they're in time when you want to implement a clinical trial, you have that relationship. Relationship. You are working with the community members in creation of the protocols of the designs. You know, earlier we talked about a lot of the barriers to clinical trials. And so it's important to recognize these barriers and more. You know, a lot of times I will say um, in the lupus space, you know, we have some protocols or programs that are designed for all. But I think it's important to be intentional, and that is something that we keep echoing, that you cannot create one protocol and think that it's going to encapsulate all of the patients. You know, you have to be extremely intentional in thinking about, okay, I'm reaching out to this community. What are the specific challenges they are facing? What are the specific inequities? What can I do to help so that when this protocol or this project is out of the community, is sustainable? And I think that is more. One of the cornerstones of community-based participatory research is that sustainability and that shared information exchange you know we come to the table a lot of times with learned experience what we've learned in school what we've learned through research courses or you know but it's important that lived experience is just as important if not even more valuable when you're thinking about clinical trials and you're thinking about all of these things Thank you. <laughs> so, I just think it's really important that, you know, we all come together and we really address these inequities. I will share just before this conference, my colleagues and I attended the National Minority Equality Forum health disparities summit and a lot of this information we talked about racism, mental health, the social determinants of health and all of these different factors that perpetuate these health disparities and these inequities and I think it's important that we don't have these conversations siloed within our own subject matter um, expert areas but really that we are bringing and engaging diverse populations and I think it's important also to define what do we mean by diverse? I see so many companies you know, you have this DEI pledge or you want to help the community, but what are you really doing? How are you helping the community? How are you addressing their needs without just having a banner on the website? So it's a lot of different things, but I think for CBPR, the main thing is sustainability and building that trust, and that is necessary um, in the pre-engagement.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> very 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 good responses and that was again packaged really well and key pointers with you know the social determinants of health makes it different for every community we can't treat every community the same the needs for one are not the same and just because we provided you know, I'll just say $1,000 here for this community Mm -hmm. or to provide food for Mm -hmm. this. But for another community, those that's not going... It's going to take $20,000 or it's going to take even more food or, you know, helping mothers with daycare. So we really do have to look at a lens of unique. Every community is different. And then what are we doing without asking anything? And I think for... Many companies and because of how we conduct clinical trials and how far in advance we do have to plan, we do have to be more intentional on we don't want anything today. Today, we're just here because we're partnering with your community, and we're concerned about your community, and we want to give back. So I think we have to build that into how we execute clinical trials, that pre-engagement, before we need something. And there are several communities across the country where we can begin there, and we even know we have research sites, but have we stepped back to say, what is it that this community needs without us asking them for anything and letting them know that we have a trial. So definitely making sure that we're looking at every community on their own and addressing these communities at an individual state. So are there any other,
0: anyone wanted to make any comments
1: before we? I will say
0: um, one of the projects I am helping to develop and lead at Lupus Research Alliance and Lupus Therapeutics is Project Change. And what we're really doing is trying to change the lupus clinical trials landscape. And for the first year of this project, it is strictly community-building stakeholder engagement, really partnering with non-traditional stakeholders, bringing those to the table who have been left out of decision-making processes, when we're thinking about lupus clinical trials, lupus programs and initiatives, and really centering, not even centering their voice, elevating their voice, and making sure that they are seen as the expert, and that their priorities, their outcomes, their issues are really at the center of all of our decision-making and action. Plans, And so that is something I'm really passionate about, as many of you can probably tell, is that, you know, where I come from, we don't know about clinical trials. That is not something that is taught to us in school. You know, my family had no, they still don't know what I do. And no matter how many years, it is 14 years later, and they're still like, Ebony, what exactly do you do? And so I think it's really understanding that it is not just educating the patient, but also educating the provider, because we see a lot of implicit biases and all of these different things, which makes it hard for people to really participate and engage and have the education needed for clinical trials.
1: Okay, okay, so now we're beginning to see the old model of how we conduct clinical trials and clinical research and how we're shifting to bringing it closer to communities and patients. I'm going to ask Ash to just kind of help us with this new model and what are some of the ideas, the principles, things that we can do when we're involving community and patients and what can that outcome look like?
5: No, thank you. Um, before I start, can I just say, Karen, um, I lost my father to prostate cancer about 20 years ago, and if he knew you, I think he could still be around. So I just want to say, just keep doing what you're doing. I think, um, yeah, you're very special. Um, yeah. So for me, when we talk about community engagement, you know, it's, it's, it's firstly defining what the community means. Um, and for me, when I talk about communities, I'm not talking about uh, communities of people with certain conditions I'm talking disease agnostic Um, and for us I think what we really need to be doing to build trust is going into the communities go grassroots you know we need to be talking to community groups Uh, we need to be talking to supermarkets we need to be in everywhere where us as normal people are hanging out and I don't know about you I'm not hanging out in in hospitals or clinics, (laughs) um, I'm hanging out You know, the temple or I'm hanging out with friends and that's where the information needs to be. Um, And I think our big challenge here at Couch Health has been to operationalise how do we do this um, on a global level. Um, It's been a challenge but what we are proposing to do and what we do do is we go into the communities, we build our own relationships, um, we will then look at how many so a sponsor will come to us. They'll give us 10 sites. We'll then look at the radius around that site, 50 miles around that site, and understand what communities are there, who we have relationships with, and if we don't, we'll build them, and really go talk to them about this study. We'll go involve them, co-create our clinical trial awareness materials, and really bring in that voice. So the community, instead of doing one set of materials from a global level, we're trying to do it from a very local level um, and what we'll see is we will start to get more responses you know if I take UK as an example you know we'll get the Indian population involved we can get you know the Muslim uh, population involved there's so many populations in these countries that are neglected um, and the only way we can do it is by going grassroots Um, that's been the real challenge Um, but for us when we co-create, we're just cutting through the noise. You know, uh, I, I literally had to have an email conversation yesterday with a client about the use of the word subject. We're still doing that. But if we were with the community, guarantee you it's subject, participant, you know, even though these aren't you know participants a good word, it wouldn't be mentioned, you know, like join our study would not be mentioned. It would be about the community, it would be about the benefit to community, society, um, and what matters to these people. And really yeah, there's so much I could talk about, um, yeah, and uh, so we're, we're really trying to do this. Um, one other area that really frustrates me is, you know, so clinicaltrials.gov, even these um, websites. Where is the number that I can pick up the phone and just speak to someone? Um, if, if I'm in, in, I don't know, uh, I'll say UK again, I want to speak to someone in the UK about this clinical trial, we need to have these systems in place. We need to make it easy to engage and we need to make it easy to get involved. That's the only way we're gonna build trust. Um, and right now that trust is dwindling um, and we need to just bring it back up. Um, that's, that would be my, my advice.
1: Yeah, so I heard you mention co-creating and working with patients as we're creating these materials informed consent and really having their input similar to what angela shared and you know even with the communication piece how are we communicating with them and i think we heard earlier you know not having health care put on us but letting us be a part of the process so i think from a patient and community standpoint going to the community asking them what is their input on it and how do we move forward so Definitely tools and, you know, ways, innovations that we can start tomorrow on our journey and recreating and redesigning clinical trials. And as we're thinking through this, we know that there are some centers across, centers of excellence across the country that have put, communities and patients at the center and really being a great example for community engagement. And I'm going to have my dear friend Tisha to really share what has sparked in the New Haven community and even span, expanding outward from the Yale Cultural Ambassadors and the work that you've been able to do and really what does that model look like. For community engagement, and is it possible for other communities to replicate that?
2: Yeah, um, thank you so much. This is such a great panel, and um, you know, I almost cried. I get uh, emotional myself. So, um, the this this is a very real topic, and the interesting thing is, unlike you know, some of the complicated diseases that we're talking about this is something that we can overcome. And we know it. We know there's a formula to how to think about it. And um, about 12 years ago, we were able to do this work. We approached it in a very different way. We thought about, you know, what is is the problem? We had about 2% of our participants at the time who were identifying as a community of color, participating in our clinical trials. And of course, our marketing team thought it's a marketing problem. We need a new slogan. You know, We're not racy enough, we're not zippy enough. And so when we uh, really sat down and started to study this issue, looking at uh, focus groups, um, bringing them in, having conversations, what we found with the groups were, no matter the education level, no matter the income level, no matter the circumstance, even when presented with a question, if you had uh, a cancer, and a clinical trial was a potential option that could extend your life, would you participate? We literally had all 250 minority participants in the first sets of focus groups say no. And that was scary. And so what we did was bring in another um, focus group expert and say, well, how are we gonna change this? And and the focus groups were blinded, so they didn't know they were answering questions for Yale, and we brought in another, um, we focused on, um, on um, black populations and the Hispanic population or Latinx because those are the two largest populations of color in our catchment area. And so with these additional 100 in each cohort, we asked the same question, blinded, and said, you know, got the same answer. So again, terrifying that 450 individuals, no matter education level, no matter income level, no matter any mixture of factors said no, they would never participate in a clinical trial. Um, And then the second half, we changed it and said, you're answering these questions for Yale University. Help us understand what we can do differently. And that was a turning point. And what they said was, we couldn't change it. There was going to be nothing that we could say in the community that would change this. And that was hard to hear as a person who was working for the institution, that there was no trust. And it wasn't just about Tuskegee. It was about the way we build buildings in the community. It was about um, union issues with nursing and all kinds of other things that we would not have known without asking the question. But what they did say was you can change this through trusted messengers. They specifically, and we said who, and so they told us in the black community, go to the church. Church will not be perfect, not everyone goes to the church, but they generally accept that ministers have the best interests of the community at heart. So if you can get them to trust you, then maybe we will start to trust you. And in the, uh, in the Latinx community, they suggested a community-based foundation, and so that's what we did. We did the hard work, Of having conversations with leaders who um, if they were here they would tell you at our first meeting didn't even want to eat our cookies that were on the table (laughs) so and and now having a minister who was arguing with me saying I would like to have seen Adria (laughs) and why didn't I get to come to the panel so um, 12 years later you know we looked at our data last year 32% of our total population came from uh, from communities of color in our clinical trials and where our cultural ambassadors have been involved where we have members of the African Methodist Episcopal Zion churches and the community-based foundation specifically messaging and talking about clinical trials, 67% of those trial trial participants are from communities of color. And it's it's everything that, that the individuals have said here. It's taking a look at the materials. It's involving them at the design phase. It's about being there with studies and activities and, um, and clinical work that have been prioritized specifically by the community leaders. And so that's really where we have transformed organizationally. Instead of it being about this is what Yale wants to do today, it's what did the community decide they wanted to work on today? And then let's make sure we pair them with the clinical trials that are there. And I think that this is an important lesson thinking about it from the sponsor perspective because you have your pipeline. You have one prostate cancer trial. What are the chances that the patient or the, that we're talking to that day is going to qualify for that single prostate cancer trial only? You've already got them in the chair. Why are we wasting? Why are we not converting that person who has a clinical trial interest? And if we could partner in a way where we're bringing all of us together to solve this issue, we have a shot. But I think it's really through this idea of who is the expert in the room? The expert in the room is the patient. The expert in the community are the people that the community look up to. And so we have to partner with them. We have to make sure that they have the knowledge that they want to have, that they want to achieve so that they can be the messengers, they can be the group, they can be the voice. And then our research becomes better. It will become better and it will become more diverse. I'm sorry, Ed. No, no, no. Keep going. (laughs) We can all preach.
1: (laughs) And so I think it's consistent, as we've kind of talked about this, is really speaking to patients. We're doing the work for patients, you know, and for these clinical trials and the new therapies, but doing it outside of, bringing them to sit at the table and to really give us the input that we need to really address community engagement. And what I will say is we're really at a critical point in our industry with all of the external pressures that we're receiving with the Clinical Treatment Act, the DEPICT Act, we have the um, diversity plan guidance where the FDA is soliciting input right now, where it's not an option of whether or not we're going to do this, we have to do it. And it's an imperative that we must do it. When we think about just oncology in and of itself and to hear how it changed Karen's life and other patients life, but we're only making it available to those patients who have access and who can afford to pay for that additional access. We've gotta do a better job of making the table open and available for all patients. Because all of them deserve to have that same opportunity to be able to Sit at the table and to reap the benefit of the science that we have today. So as we continue to talk through this, are there any, I guess to say, if there were two things that you would tell pharma or biotech where they can implement tomorrow, what would that be? One or two. And it can be simple or you can take a few more words to explain that, but two actions that they can take right now and implement so that we can move clinical research closer to patients.
5: Ash? Um, I think it's it's more two philosophies for me. It's stop making excuses, I think has got to be the biggest one. Um, don't hide behind compliance, don't hide behind uh, historical um, abuses. You know, we, as an industry, need to move forward, so for that we need to own our mistakes and really ensure that it doesn't happen again. Um, secondly, I think there's a lot of misconception around you know, community engagement, building trust, it's slow, it's expensive. It really isn't. Actually, if you think about it financially, uh, if, that's, if that's the driver, it actually will save time, it will save money in the long run. But yeah, start startup may be a little bit slower, but it will have impact. Um, and I think they're the two things that I would love everyone to take away.
2: I, I, I can share as well. I think one of the things that we really need is a change in the way you think about these investments. Right now, I understand, very real, we have a lot of our own clinical trials that we are the sponsor of, as well as participating as a site in many of your trials. And all of your investments are at this molecule space. And that's not how engagement happens. We need to have that sustainability so that we're not feeling in the community that it's the helicopter approach. You just showed up today because you need this tomorrow. Whereas if we take the same investments and we think about them in a sustainable approach or you're more open to the kinds of things that sites are saying to you that we need to support you in this clinical trial journey, like whether that's activity for the community-based organizations or the patient-facing organizations, whether that's activity so that we can instead of going to the, through the provider, go directly to the patient and making sure the patients have access to the clinical trials material. Those are the kinds of things that will help us transition. But oftentimes in the contracting process, there's only a focus on, well, we need to cover the blood draw, we need to cover the coordinator, but not thinking about, and you'll pay for an ad in the newspaper, which is just not worth the paper that it's going to be printed on, but you won't um, have budget uh, set aside for these kinds of initiatives that we know work. And I, I will think the way Adrela and I met was she had a campaign on prostate cancer, and one of the things our cultural ambassador said to her was, you're talking to the men, and you've got these pictures of men genitalia all over this. I can't take this to my usher board, and women are the ones who really make the decisions for the men anyway. So, can you take this, you know, Venus off of my off of the prostate cancer brochure and substitute it with faces of the community that people will, you know, uh, will work with? And to their credit, and we they did. It. So, I think it's just important to be open to thinking about a change in the way that you might have approached your investment at the site level, at the community level, or at the patient level.
0: So, I will just add, you know, I'm, def- I'm in the non-for-profit space now, but I started in academia. So, I started at Wild Cornell Medical College um, for the Center for Health Disparities through an NIH grant. And so community engagement, CBPR, was fundamental to my training from the beginning. And we've had these conversations internally. I I challenge everyone, if you're not already having these conversations within your your workspaces or within your colleagues, start to have these conversations. Discuss implicit biases, discuss racism, discuss some of these structural inequities that we know before going into communities of color because they will recognize if you're not genuine, if you're just coming there for a specific ask, if you really do not want to partner. And so you can't expect someone to join a trial or a program if you wouldn't talk to them outside of that, if you wouldn't interact with them, you know? If you don't feel comfortable speaking with different people outside of your neighborhood or your comfort zone and it's just a nine to five. I think in the trials I have worked on, we have had these conversations before even reaching out to communities, so we understand our inequities that we have and also as well as our, our barriers. So I think it's really important to be open to having these conversations and engaging with other communities in different ways or in different asks than traditionally that we have been doing. I think I
3: just wanna echo everything that everyone has said here on this panel. And I think the only thing I can add is that I would ask providers and I would ask Big Pharma to invest in the communities that you serve. So investing means, hmm, different things to different people. So we talk about monetary, we're we talking about building a new curriculum in regards to awareness and equity and bias in grade school and in College and in first-year medical, like, why can't that be a part of the curriculum? Because I just found out recently that a lot of researchers have never had an experience in an exam room with a person, you know, that mm-hmm. they're about to do yeah. study on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? And they were like, yeah, Karen, that's commonplace. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of strange to me. Because if you were there and you were talking to the person and you were learning about what their journey was and what the barriers were and what the experience was, maybe you would think differently when it's time to sit on that steering committee. Maybe you would think differently in regards to the protocols. Maybe you would think differently about research. And in addition to that, why not invest in the community and help build young scientists of color from our communities, like really invest in it. And I'm talking about, again, it means different things to different people, so maybe it's monetary, right? Or maybe it's just somebody going back to their community where they came from, or a different community that you serve, and actually having a conversation with a 12-year-old, with a seven-year-old, with a 15-year-old about the importance of clinical research in communities of color. And I think that's all I'll add.
4: I'll just add, consider being nimble. Right? doing things a little differently. You have your plans and you understand what's needed, but just flex a little bit because there are ways to engage with the community that are already in place. There are structures and foundations that already exist that you can just simply partner with. Be a consistent partner. It's not reinventing the wheel. Really get out there and just simply be a partner. Partner with your like-minded organizations that really believe in the same commitment. Those are some of the steps that really start that turn for you, so that's all I add.
1: So thank you, thank you to the panel. We have given you all some tools and resources and even some actions you can begin taking tomorrow to begin this journey of bridging community engagement and building trust and ensuring diversity and equity and inclusion in clinical research. Do we have any questions from the audience?
5: How about a hand for this panel? I mean, that was absolutely brilliant.
2: We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Patients as Partners Summit, our editorial,
0: podcasts, and webinars, please visit PatientsAsPartners.org. Thank you.
5: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, Huh?